Hello and welcome. I'm Heidi Albertieri from the Lifestyle Edit. Thank you for joining us for another Rosé Friday where we take the afternoon off to have creative conversations over a cheeky glass of rosé. So go grab your rosé while I introduce you to today's wonderful guest. Hello everyone. It's Heidi from The Lifestyle Edit. How are you today? Um, The Lifestyle Edit is a boutique digital content agency in Sydney. And every Friday we do a little session called Rosé Friday where we have creative conversations with amazing people. And today we have a special guest. Um, Oh, just so you know, I am drinking rosé and I have a very special bottle of Printhe rosé here. And I've got my lovely rosé. Cheers to everybody who is joining us. Um, I'm just going to get our special guest in for today and then I'm going to introduce you. Now, today's guest is super special. Her name's Rhiannon Tracy. She has a business called The Next Step. It's a pretty special business. You can find her at thenextstepsci.org.au and her Instagram is thenextstepsci.recovery. Now, that's on Instagram. Now, it's a bit of a mouthful, but um, it's well worth it because Rhiannon has an amazing story and we're going to get into it today because I want to share a little bit more about what she's doing and how she came about to do her business with you all. So say hello, everyone. Hi. Hello. (laughs) You are ready. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I haven't been drinking like all year, so I might get smashed off this one glass. I'm not going to lie. I think that is okay. It's Friday. It's been a hell of a week with this moon. I'm, I was just saying to the girls, I'm drinking all of this rosé today. Look, I'm probably just going to do the same. Okay, good. Well, it's going to be a great chat then. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Oh my gosh, what a way to spend a Friday afternoon. I know, it's pretty cool. We're very lucky we get to meet all sorts of amazing people on here. I'm just going to turn my volume up so you can hear me properly. Um, I have to say, I'm, I've been checking out your website and what you do, and I watched the video of you on your website. If anyone, um, I've, I've given you the website. It's, do you want to tell everybody again, Rhiannon, what your website is? Sure. So the website for my facility is thenextstepsci.org.au. Otherwise, I am Rhiannon Tracy, My Wheel Life on all other platforms. Awesome. So what I loved was the video that you do on your website. I actually was like sniffling some tears because it was, it's pretty full on. Um, For everybody who's joining us and people who are watching and they'll watch this on the podcast and stuff later on, do you want to share your story with us? Because it's pretty amazing. Sure. I would love to. Just let me have a little sippy. Yeah, have a little sip. I think I might need one too. Um, If you don't have a glass of wine, you might need one because... It's pretty, yeah. It can get heavy. Yeah, it's pretty (laughs) big. Shit can get real. I know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. So I actually live my life on wheels. I don't know if you can see, but I live my life on hot pink wheels. I do crash into just about everything. But (laughs) I had a diving accident in Bali 13 years ago. So um, I was two months from my 21st birthday on holiday in Bali with my mum and my best friend. I dove into a resort swimming pool that was labelled deep, but it was shallow. 
and I broke my neck and my back and I instantly became a quadriplegic. So I'm, um, it's a long story short, but I spent three weeks in the hospital in Bali. A couple of hours after I had my initial injury, Bali was struck with one of their biggest earthquakes as well. So it was like, yeah, I was pretty convinced that it was it for me that night, but I made it through and my emergency surgery that was meant to happen straight after I arrived at the hospital happened, I think it was roughly about 24 hours later, just because of the earthquake. So I was very lucky to have travel insurance. That's why I'm still alive. Um, but being 20 years old, spending my 21st birthday in the hospital, you know, I had dreams and aspirations as we all do. And I was consistently being told that I needed to accept my life now being in a wheelchair. And at that point I was in an electric chair. So I had completely no independence whatsoever. I was paralyzed from the neck down. And just to kind of accept that that was my fate and to have no expectations of getting better anytime soon. Um, I've never, ever been one to respond well to the word no. I am an only child, so I definitely have like only child syndrome. I don't like no at all. So I set out on a mission just to basically prove doctors wrong in every aspect of my recovery moving forward. So I had an amazing support network my mum and my stepdad and my friends and that took us overseas to a facility that was a spinal cord injury recovery center um, my community had to fundraise each time for me to visit that center because my injury was completely uncompensated there was no funding you know in Australia um, for disability there was no NDIS at that point and um, yeah so it took it took a huge toll in literally every aspect of my family's life, emotionally, financially, you name it. Um, but upon going back and forth, we kept meeting Australians who were going through the same thing, you know, that were uprooting their entire families, like young families to go to this facility in America. And, you know, we just kept scratching our heads saying, why? Like, why is this not available in Australia? And the difference between what we were receiving over there versus what we were receiving here in, a, in Australia was that the mentality within the hospital system here is get you independent in your chair and kind of send you on your way. They yep. would never work on parts of your body that weren't working. It was always a focus on what was mm. um, and just the entire mindset behind recovery. So this facility was treating us as injured, not disabled. So we were training, well, I know definitely harder than I ever have in my life. I'm no athlete. Um, there's a bias around being in a wheelchair. People automatically think you play sport and I'm here to tell you I do not. Um, <laughs> I own a gym and I definitely don't train enough. Um, but, you know, back then I did. I was training, you know, two hours um, a day, four days a week. And I was training my entire body. And that got me to a point where I was able to walk with the assistance of adaptive devices. So, I decided to open my own version of that facility here in Australia with a collective of people who were experiencing the same frustrations. And at, at the point of being three years post my injury, I'd also created, I guess, like a community hub of support for people who were experiencing this as well and had definitely collected enough knowledge and enough skill and expertise to kind of venture out on my own. And, you know, the facility I was attending to in America it had the words walk in their name and I didn't really love that because I felt like that's kind of promising people false hope and even though that was my initial goal 
I just wanted my quality of life. I just honestly wanted to be able to do all the things that I was doing prior to my injury yeah. in, an, in an adaptive way. You know, that meant like being able to use a hair straightener, being able to master a wing eyeliner. And I never would have expected that here I would be 13 years later wearing the hats that I do now. Yeah. So it's, extra, it's so, like you said, it's so much to unpack. And for those people who are just joining us, um, you, in case you missed it, um, Rhiannon had a, an accident when she was 21, diving in a pool in Bali, quadriplegic and in hospital. And it's been on the journey of recovery ever since. Take me back, Rhiannon. You're 21 years old. I have a 19-year-old son. We have spent a lot of time in Bali. We know it's pretty real, like the mm. possibility of anything like that happening. How does your mum cope in Bali mm. in that situation when she's, you know, you're on holiday and her daughter, her only daughter, mm. in Bali hospital, and I've seen what they are like and it's not very nice. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because we did go back to Bali a few years after and I went and visited the pool that everything happened in. But what really hit me the most was actually seeing the hospital because I was unconscious the majority of the time that I was in there or I could only literally stare at the ceiling. I actually yeah. didn't realise how bad it was. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> I remember hearing a story when I was injured about the mother that lifted the car off her child in a car <laughs> wreckage. Yeah. And I was like, that would 100% be my mum. My mum my mom's one of those people who definitely runs in fight-flight mode. So she's that person who just gets shit done and, like, makes sure that every... Like, I remember, be, like, basically being on my deathbed in Bali and my mum going out and buying Dunkin' Donuts for all the families that were laying in the in the hallways of the hospital. Like, that's just my mum. Like, she's just... Um, yeah, she's just, she's a, she's a true fighter. She really is. But we did have my stepdad. He was flown over, um, by the travel insurance company towards the end of the stay. So initially I was meant to just be brought home on a normal commercial flight. Um, by the time the doctor and the nurse flew over from Australia, they went into panic mode and they were like, we just need to get her on an air ambulance and get her out. So I had to make the decision to send one of my parents home so that, someone was there on the other end when I arrived um, and I, you know, sent mum home, which was really hard for her because she obviously wanted to be there right yeah. up until me getting on the flight. But I'm glad she wasn't because when they did put me on the air ambulance, they actually, were, I was meant to be in an induced coma, but they had given me um, medication that I was allergic to and they went into anaphylaxis. So yeah, so I'm really glad she wasn't there because I don't know. I think that might have been the icing on the straw for her or the icing on the cake. But, yeah, no, she's incredible. And, and to this day, you know, we, well, my mum and I, I my mum was told she would never have kids and she had me. So we've always had quite a special bond. But I think mum just acted in the same way I'm sure you would. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you, get, you just get shit done. Yeah. You just get shit done. So, um, God, I, I could talk to you for hours on this. So you're 21, you have this horrific accident, you're back in Sydney, quadriplegic, explain to us what that is. Mm. So back in Melbourne, I'm a Melbourne um, girl, I'm actually a Geelong girl now, but um, so quadriplegic, so 
um, your, your spine is made up of different spinal columns. So you've got your cervical, your thoracic, your lumbar and your sacrum. So the vertebrae around your spinal cord is there to protect it. So a lot of people often break bones or vertebrae. Like you'll hear people say, I broke my neck or I broke my back. That doesn't yep. always result in a spinal cord injury. So what happens with a spinal cord injury is the vertebrae is what actually causes the damage. So in my case, the vertebrae broke and it pierced, it wedged into my spinal cord. So when they performed my surgeries, I should have only had one, but I had three, vegan barley, um, you know, they had to go in and remove everything. So C5 is basically from your bra strap up. So quadriplegic four limbs are paralyzed I present to most well I do present as a paraplegic because I can move my hands but if you look at my hands like close up um, my dexterity is quite bad because I still technically have four limbs that are paralyzed I'm what can what is considered an incomplete quadriplegic so that I have had natural recovery and my spinal cord wasn't completely severed which was the risk if I didn't have the initial surgeries in Bali. Um, so, you know, as, as horrible as Bali was, I do believe that, you know, the, they did what they could and I'm still here. Um, yep. But I did have to have two corrective surgeries coming back to like when I came back to Australia. So yeah, I had to relearn how to do literally everything in my life. Um, massive mind, mindset shifts from, you know, being an able-bodied person to living with a disability as well. So, yeah, yeah so it's definitely been a ride. As a 21-year-old, like I just find it's quite extraordinary. As a 21-year-old, how do you mentally manage your new circumstances and then try to find a way forward? Mm. Look, I... I'm very um, raw when I talk about this because I'd be lying if I said that there weren't days where I was just like, put like, you know, trigger yeah. alert, suicide. But, you know, yeah. I did, I did have those days. Um, yeah. You know, I couldn't physically do anything myself. So I was lucky in that sense. Cause when I would make these remarks to mum, you know, yeah. my mum's very tough love and she'd be like, well, if you go, I might as well go. And I'm like, yeah. okay, don't put that on me. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, it was it was a very big emotional roller coaster, and you know I still, while I've had this recovery journey, I've still experienced traumatic emotional events within my life. Be it you know my partner left me while I was in the hospital, I've been married and divorced. Like I've still, you know, I've still experienced lots of emotional turmoil, and I think that we all go through trauma in our lives. You know, with certain events that happen, whether it's you know losing a loved one or even a pet. Yeah. And, you know, it's all about kind of, you know, working our way through that. And for me, you know, like I said, my mum has been my rock. But, you know, I've also got an, a beautiful best friend who I say she is like, she was sent to me from <laughs> some higher power, um, you know. And, yeah, I've, I've always got somebody who is there to kind of either give me the tough love I need um, or just literally wipe away the tears. Oh, and I think we all, we all need that. I heard someone yeah. talk on a podcast the other day and they said, us women, we need the Spice Girl friends. <laughs> so we need like the friend to kick us up the ass, the friend to have a wine with us, the friend to wipe away our tears. And I was like, we absolutely do. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? That's awesome. So when was it that you got recovery 
like you obviously were working hard. Were you working hard here or were you working hard in America? And how did you, you get movement in your hands and stuff again? Because you use your hands a lot, right? Did you do that I know. before? I think I overcompensate and I'm always just like, woo. Um, Italian, so I, I, I know. I get asked that all the time. I'm like, what's your background? I'm like, quadriplegic. Um, yeah, so I spent seven and a half months in the Victorian Spinal Service here in Melbourne. And that was a journey. Um, I think as I was kind of, funny story. So my mum was sneaking in all these therapists and pretending they were family members. And I had, it was just after my birthday because because I was so emotionally distraught around the time of my 21st, because I literally, the day before we went to Bali, like sent out my invitations for my 21st. So um, around my birthday, you know, the hospitals sent in or the doctors sent in a psychologist and, you know, they wanted to medicate me for my emotions. And then, you know, that made me feel even more flat. And then I had this great aunt that my mum snuck in who I'd never met before in my life. And she was a physio of some sort. And she said to me, you know what, Rhiannon, all I want you to do is just think about moving your middle finger because every time somebody tells you that you can't do something, just show (laughs) them that you can. You know, like, and then you don't have to say anything. And I think, like, funnily enough, it's like the best moving thing on my body now. But um, <laughs> I started <laughs> I started moving my big left toe, I think it was about three, four months post-injury. And the doctors were saying it was an involuntary spasm because what happens with this injury, it literally creates a traffic jam from your brain down to your spinal cord, so where the messages should be flowing. So I'd think yeah. about moving something and then it would happen, like, five minutes later. And the doctors would call it an involuntary spasm. So I, like, with the amount of times that I was flipping the bird, I was like, it's not an involuntary spasm. But when I could move my big left toe, I was like, well, that's the furthest thing away from my brain. So something, there's still a connection happening there. So that was, yeah, about three, four months after being injured. And then by the time I was being discharged from the hospital, I just started standing, but like I had my stepdad on one side, the physio in front of me, mum next to me. Um, And then, yeah, when I was over in America, it was my, I think it was my third trip there. So I'm going to say probably about a year post-injury that I was able to start taking like unassisted steps with a walking frame, but with devices on my ankles to stop my foot from dragging. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) You're so strong. It's quite extraordinary. I have, I'm just speechless, which doesn't happen very often. Um, <laughs> tell us now, fast forward, how many years? 13 this September. 13 years. Um, what does life look like to you now? Well, it's really interesting because like I said, you know, I've, I've gone through the, I guess being young when I had my injury, you know, I still wanted to get married and I was you know I married my high school sweetheart and that fell apart and that was so emotionally traumatic and around that time I realized that I actually hadn't really dealt with the emotional trauma around my injury and my accident because I'm like my mom like I just get shit done you know I just go into okay well this is yeah like this has happened so now we need to open the center and now we need to do this So when my marriage broke down, I really, I was about to turn 30, which I found quite significant. And I was like, you know what, like 30, these are my best years. And I was so excited to make some really big changes 
for the rest of my life. You know, I'd always been in a relationship. Um, I've always been quite an independent person. So I've always, you know, been doing something that can contribute to whatever or whomever I'm with. Yeah. So, you know, turning 30 for me, um, I got rid of a lot of toxic people that I had in my life. And, you know, certain family members were a part of that, my biological father. Um, but, you know, I broke a lot of patterns that I'd also seen throughout other women in my family. So I, here I am now and I live on my own. I moved to the beach during COVID, not last year, the year before, like the second lockdown. Um, you know, I moved, I moved from Melbourne to Geelong not really knowing anyone in Geelong. Um, I just started really making decisions for myself because, you know, I realized that all I've done since being injured is put myself out there to help others. And I hadn't really had a moment to help myself. And I wasn't exactly, you know, happy with, like I'd been, I'm happy with my achievements, but I wasn't happy within myself. And, you know, it took three years to be on my own. Now I've got an absolutely incredible partner but, you know, he's, he's got a great understanding of my independence as well. And, like, he knows my boundaries. So, you know, I'm running, I'm running our facility now, which I've, you know, been a director of that since, well, we've been open for eight years, um, you know, and I'm a public speaker, keynote speaker. I went back and redid my makeup. Um, I left school at 16 and became a makeup artist. So I went back and did that. Um, And yeah, I've just been like, especially this year, like I've got my bucket list. I want to travel now that the world's opening up. And, you know, it's funny because I I saw myself at like 23, 25 having kids and now I'm 33 and I'm like, I'm not there yet because (laughs) I feel like my life has just begun. I've actually finally sat back and really kind of scoped it all out and I'm happy with my achievements, but I just know there's there's so much more to be done. Yeah, it doesn't end either. No. Going and going. I'm nearly 50 and, you know, it's like, no, I can't be that old. I've got so many things to do. (laughs) Easy. Let's talk um, about your business. So Mm. it's pretty special what you've created and am I right in saying that it's, it's one of a kind? There's no other places like it? Yeah, so there is another facility that's quite similar um, in Queensland, but started with the same intention. So we're one of a kind, I guess, because we are a not-for-profit organisation. So just to kind of rewind and give everyone a bit of background, um, everything that I do now within my career, I do because I saw a gap. There wasn't anyone doing it. And when I was laying in the hospital bed, I needed hope. And I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it in people. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't, and I wanted realness too. Like I didn't want anything. I'm a straight up, like straight up kind of gal. I just need to know all of the things and completely unfiltered. So, you know, I wanted to be the person that I needed during those times and during those days. So that's how it all kind of started. That's how it all unfolded. I was meeting, even when I was in the hospital, I was mentoring younger girls who were injured, like while I was still going through my own emotional turmoil. Um, But, you know, going back and forth from Melbourne to San Diego really took a toll on, you know, like I said, my family and I was seeing it happen everywhere. So I was like, why? Like, why do we not have a facility like this? And at that point we didn't. 
And um, I quickly realized why, because there was so much red tape to go through and I had no idea how we were going to establish what we needed because at that point we had no, like we had no money. Like, And it was never, it was never, the intention was never to set up a business to set me up. Um, yeah. It was always about creating an establishment that was a communal hub that had everything. We call it like a one-stop shop for somebody who wants to improve their quality of life. So we really did, we really did go out there and talk about what, what we envisioned I have a musical background, so prior to having my injury, I was a singer and I wasn't able to sing the way that, you know, I used to because of all the surgeries that I've had. And my old high school actually invited me to come back and talk in front of like 1,200 students, which blew my mind because I was the worst student, but I did it. And I had 1,200 students, you know, all coming up to me telling me, that they could relate to my story because I was talking about being 16 and feeling the way that I felt when I was 16 at 21 years old and having no idea what I wanted to do. So that kind of put a bit of a firecracker up my ass because I was like, you know what, you're here girl. Like (laughs) you can use, you can use your voice and be passionate in, you know, you can be passionate vocally all over again, just in a different way. So I did, I started going out and started talking to people and, just really call it manifesting, if you will, like talking about what I wanted to establish here and why. Um, And from that, you know, two, three years of fundraising and like talking till I was blue in the face, we were able to open our facility. So our facility is called The Next Step and it is a holistic recovery and wellness centre that focuses on improving the quality of life. So we initially started as a spinal cord injury recovery centre because obviously you know, this, um, but now we're open to the general public because in 13 years, I've learned that trauma is trauma, you know, and yeah. we all actually experience it the same way. It doesn't matter whether we're injured. It doesn't matter if we're disabled or able-bodied, the effect that it has on our bodies, like when your mind's not right, your body will never be right. So for me, as, as much as the facility in America was incredible, I knew that there was a huge lack of emotional support And so I wanted to ensure that in amongst the holistic therapies like Chinese medicine, naturopathy, massage and exercise physiology, I was there to support the people. My mum was there to support the families and the culture is family. You know, it's not a job for my staff. It's their second home. And it's, it's, it's given me a reason to get out of bed every single day. That's awesome. And, and you get that feel when you watch the video and you dive into the website. So, yeah, tick that box. Um, so you started a business. You're a singer. How do you, like, start a business and just go, okay, I'm going to start a business? What did, how hard was I that? I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> like, I have no idea. I, um, it's quite funny because, you know, for the first two years, the infancy of the next step was like, it was like, okay, well, when we went tap lotto, we're going to do this, mum. And like mum worked, mum basically like packed up her life and sold off her business and worked as a, like we were all volunteers for the first, you know, like three, four years of when we were able to open Um, And now, you know, well, we are in COVID recovery mode as every business is, but, you know, in June, I think it was July of 2016, things were starting to look good. Like the NDIS had rolled out. 
we were yeah. being recognized by funding bodies like TAC, Work Cover and Medicare. So, you know, we were able to welcome in people who had the financial support to be able to improve their quality of life. And that was the hardest thing for me when I had my injury because where were we going to get the money? And the money was the reason why people weren't, weren't having access to these things. It was, you had to sell or you had to fundraise or, you know, yeah, sell a kidney. Like, you know, it was just crazy. On top of everything. It's just another thing you have to deal with and manage and, and create from nothing again. Exactly. And it, honestly, like I had still to this day, you know, I've, I think it, me being very transparent about why we do what we do and why I do what I do with my staff, you know, I've built such an amazing solid foundation with my staff because I'm honest, you know, I said to them when I hired them, I don't know what I'm doing. We're working together. Like I'm not employing, there's no hierarchy here. I want a team. I want us all to grow in this business together because for me, it's on the job training. Like, you know, I've got to make decisions, business decisions and lucky being a not-for-profit organization. I have a board of directors to guide me. But, you know, one of my biggest things that I realized too was even though I didn't have business experience, I, I had life experience. So a lot of the decisions that maybe I had would get shut down at times as well. And I always, I've always been a very intuitive person. And now eight years post for the last three years, all I do is trust my gut. Like I remember the start of COVID, my staff being like, Ree, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to have jobs? And I'm like, we've got this far. Like I remember people saying to me, you've got to be in business for five years, you know, before you've, establish your business and I was like it's been six years we're fine like there's a greater power making sure that like we're gonna be okay yeah you know I probably should like freak out a little bit more at times but we we all very much ground each other and yeah I think I think that if you if you're doing good things you'll get good things back agree totally agree what's the best advice you've ever received since you've been doing your business um, uh, the best advice I think has been to trust your gut and to trust your instincts. Yeah. I have had, um, minus, you know, a couple, I've had the same staff for years and I know that that's very, very rare. Um, but the ones that I don't have, I don't have, I don't want to say, I don't want to sound, you know, horrible, but like the trash takes itself out. Yeah. You know what I mean? It really does. And you know, if if I felt a bit if if I felt a bit iffy about someone, it's usually played out that you know it didn't work. And I think really trust your gut. You know, always you always have got to have that solitude of you know somebody that you know having. Uh, I studied life coaching, and you know I've worked with business coaches as well because when you don't know the answers, you got to find them. Yeah, um, but. It's always been my gut, but that's been every aspect of my life as well. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same as well. The whole the whole lifestyle edit business is based on my instinct. And yeah. you're right. In that with that staff, we've had situations in the past where it's like all of a sudden it's like it just switches and you're like, mm. okay, now like and it's you're right. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so funny because I've had times where I'm like pulling my hair out, like how how can we like solve this issue and then the issue will solve itself. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Thanks. 
<laughs> so, um, oh my God, we could talk for hours. What's your day look like these days? Well, COVID has had me working from home most days. So I did, my business is in Melbourne and I'm in Geelong. Yeah. And when I moved here, my intention was to still come to Melbourne, you know, three days a week. Um, and then I was reminded that, you know, my staff actually said, Re, you're the boss. You don't really need to be here. Like what you do, you can do from home. You can still like annoy us and everything from home. And I was yeah. like, oh, true, amazing. Um, but yeah, for me, I'm still running my business full time. So the next set will always be my baby and it's and it is the thing that grounds me absolutely um and also you know keynote presentations are starting to pick up now and they're not virtual thank god <laughs> for two years i've been talking on zoom and i'm just like i just want to touch people in people. like a non-creepy way um but yeah so for me now it's yeah definitely running my business from home um I am still coming to Melbourne a couple of times my partner lives in Melbourne too so it's nice I can go to Melbourne and stay there to go to work yeah. and um yeah but I also have three dogs and two cats so I do have to be home to look after them <laughs> oh that's a menagerie that's an odd I love it. I'm obsessed with them. <laughs> um, but yeah, now, like I said earlier, you know, life for me is just really about living now, like making plans to do things for me as opposed to, you know, I still, I do so much advocacy work in the disability community, which I love, but the conversations that I have can sometimes, and the fights as well that I have, you know, for funding or for representation can be exhausting. So I'm really trying to balance things, you know, and I think living by the beach has been really great for that. That's good that you know yourself well enough to do that because, you know, we see a lot of people burn out so fast because they're just not taking care of themselves. Mm. Yeah. Really. Absolutely. All right, we're nearly at the end and I've loved this conversation. <laughs> Um, leave us with three words to live by for 2022. Be the change that you want to see in the world. My mum has said that to me for as long as I can remember. I don't even know if that's three words. I didn't count. I can't quick math. But for me, like I said, you know, if it hasn't existed, I've created it. And I think that, you know, if you're out there trying to find something, like you know that something's lacking in your life, no matter what aspect we're talking about, whether it be career, self, go out and create it, you yeah. know, because we have, that's the power that we have. You know, we have the power to create a better life for us. And, you know, if you change something about you today, your future self is going to thank you for it. So why not? Yeah, good advice. It's been my absolute pleasure to chat to you today. Um, you've made my day. It's Friday. Thank you. Way to end the week. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Oh, it's been, it's been great. So just for everyone watching, you can head to the next step, sci.org.au for more information about Rhiannon's amazing business. Please follow her and support her and do things if you can to help um, because she deserves it. She's pretty bloody awesome. Um, Thank you. If you're over in Sydney, give us a call. I think we could do a rosé or something in person. That'd be great. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, awesome. All right, we'll catch you another time. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Cheers. And Cheers. Mine's really gone. Look, mine's gone. I drank it all today. <laughs>
<laughs> and we'll see everyone here back uh, next Friday, four o'clock for Rosé Friday with another new guest. See you later, everyone. Thanks, Rhiannon. Thank Bye. you. Bye.